welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 318. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. This is post-COVID edition, part six, the sixth episode that has come out since I died and came back to life with COVID or from COVID, and I'm still here and COVID-free. Hopefully all of you are as well. It is Halloween Eve. I mean, not literally. This episode is dropping on the 29th? No, the 30th. It is Halloween Eve. I'll be darned. Or wait, is the 31st technically Halloween Eve? All Hallows Eve? Or is the 30th? I'm very, I'm very confused now. Because you're a dumb turkey. If you Google All Hallows Eve, mostly what you get are links to a movie called All Hallows Eve that came out in 2013. But according to an article that came out in 2020 on CNN.com titled All Hallows Eve, History and Meaning Behind the Holiday, the word Halloween is derived from All Hallows Eve, which falls on October 31st. The day before, uh, uh, October 31st, Hallows Eve marking the day before All Saints Day on November 1st. Halloween itself comes from an ancient pagan festival celebrated by Celtan people over 2,000 years ago called Samhain, meaning summer's end. Woo, pagans! They believed the festival was a time when the dead could walk among the living. Well, I think we've all seen that, haven't we? There's some scary-looking people out there. Pope Gregory III established November 1st as All Saints Day, also known as All Hallows Day, a day to honor all saints of the church that have attained heaven. All Souls Day is the day day after All Saints Day on November 2nd. Together, All Hallows Eve, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day make up All Hallow Tide. Alright, well, the more you know. At any rate, it's October 30th as this episode is going out, which is just a day. No, you know what? It's better than just a day. It is the day that Atari Bytes is released. It is... Bite Me Day. Wait, I'm not sure that works. I don't know. I'll give it more thought. So last episode, we played a game for the 2600 called Airlock. And I had opinions about the game, and some of you did as well. Kim Slauson at Ox Coffee simply commented in response to the short story from that episode, which I believe was called Airlocked and Loaded, a Steve Stetson 1980 Super Spy adventure. Steve has appeared in a number of stories over the years at Atari Bytes, and he is still his same, oh, what's the word, irreverent self. And at one point in the story, he remarks, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you what he says. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what Kim Slauson noted in his tweet. I lost it at it tickled, in tickled, and it tickled in quotes, because that's a reference to the story. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Just know that Kim Slauson thought it was really, really funny. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go listen. If you listened and you missed it, go listen again, making sure to download it again. And if you haven't listened at all, go download it and listen. And which I think I said already. But if you've listened to it already and you know what I'm talking about, you know what, go listen to it again anyway. Again, making sure to download it anew every time. So thanks for that, Kim. I also heard from Ballistic Coffee Boy coffee being a tweeter, a, a tweeter, tweeter, being a tweeter theme 
apparently, in the feedback this week. Uh, Ballistic Coffee Boy, at Ballistic Coffee, who simply said, regarding Airlock, This game is on my top worst Atari 2600 games list. LOL, but I enjoy your show and must watch anyway. Keep up the great work. Thanks for that, Ballistic Coffee. I remarked something to the effect of, uh, you know, it hurts me to make people listen to episodes about terrible games, but we do what we must. He remarked, taking one for the team, are we? Well, we appreciate it. As a fellow writer, enjoy your podcast. Again, thank you. Keep the feedback coming. Our friends over at Into the Vertical Blind podcast, which I'm sure a lot of you are listening to already, but if you're not, you should be. They responded to the uh, this whole airlock thing. So you suffered through airlock. I think I wrote this review five years ago, and then he quotes from uh, a review that he's written. The graphics are terrible. And by terrible, I don't mean by NES or PlayStation 4 standards. I mean by Pong standards. And then he uh, provided a link into theverticalblank.com where you can read that review. Go check that out. I say that I'll put the link in the show notes, but I probably won't. Uh, just go to intotheverticalblank.com and check out the stuff they have over there. It, this appeared in Atari in the Wild number 2, 2600, 200, 400, 800 XL XE carts. Posted on March 12th, 2017. Thanks uh, one and all for the feedback. Keep the feedback coming, everybody. You can follow Atari Bytes at uh, Atari Bytes over on Twitter or on Instagram. We're on Facebook. You can email us, call the hotline. Many, many ways to uh, reach out and tell me what you're thinking. And it would be good to do that now before Elon Musk's robots powered by Pong playing brain cells enslave all of us. As we all know, uh, Elon Musk is crazy, and he's built robots that really aren't going to endanger us because, as he said once, we can probably outrun them. But now, in the news, we've got uh, brain cells in a Petri dish that can play Pong. Probably better than I can. On October 14th, NPR and many other outlets posted an article about this Petri dish full of uh, 800,000 brain cells linked to a computer learned over time to sense the position of uh, the game's electronic ball, the game being Pong, and control a virtual paddle, according to an article that appeared in the journal Neuron. This was all part of an experiment to figure out how the brain learns and how to make computers more intelligent. Because, yeah, we definitely want more intelligent computers. Have have none of you guys watched a science fiction movie ever? Quoting Brett, Brett Hagen, an author of the study and chief scientific officer at Cortical Labs in Melbourne, Australia, we've made huge strides with silicon computing, but they're still rigid and inflexible. There's something we don't see. That's something we don't see with biology. Both computers and people, I'm not quoting here, it's just according to the article. Both computers and people can learn to make a cup of tea, but people can generalize what they've learned in a way computers can't. Basically, the analogy is you could go to an unfamiliar house and figure out how to find the ingredients and make the tea. A very powerful computer would struggle to do the same thing in an environment that's not familiar. In this simplified version of the Pong game, there was a single paddle on the left side of the virtual table, and the ball would tear them off the other side until it evaded the paddle. To allow the brain cells to play the game, the computer sent signals to them indicating where the bouncing ball was. At the same time, it began monitoring information coming from the cells in the form of electrical pulses. They took that information and allowed it to influence the Pong game that they were playing, so they could move the paddle around. Over time, the cells began to learn to generate patterns of electrical activity to move the paddle in front of the ball. The rallies got stronger, the brains never got very good at the game, but the human cells would do slightly better than the mouse cells. Yeah, eat it, mice. The article doesn't say if they're ever going to try, like, uh, oh, I don't know, Pac-Man, or maybe they could figure out that E.T. game. That might be good. So there you go. 
I will be producing the uh, Petri Dish Brain Cells Pong podcast. All right. Well, moving on from one creepy thing to another creepy thing, we have this week's game. This week's game is Midnight Mutants for the Atari 7800 from Atari 1990. We're all the way up to the uh, space year of 1990. We're like, it's, it's practically present day. We have a manual with a, a front cover that has a, a great big full moon in the sky and clouds and bats and, for some reason, Grandpa Munster. We're told that it's Midnight Mutants featuring Grandpa. All right. We're told that on a strange Halloween night on October 31st, 1747, the cold October wind rattled through the bare branches. Jonathan Hartman, Witchfinder General, thought it sounded like the clatter of dead bones. He pulled his high collar snug against the cold as he and his smart par- small party crossed the hard ground. They were all quiet, save one, Dr. Evil. His hands bound behind his back screeched and shouted as he was escorted to his death. You're all going to pay, his voice squeaked like the rusted hinges of the door of a crypt. Each and every one of you. He shouted, looking around at his captors. His mouth was frozen to a twisted grin. His eyes glowed feral red. There was no doubt in the Witchfinder's mind that the doctor, that Doctor Evil was a powerful warlock. Don't fight it, Witchfinder General whispered. It's God's will. Doctor Evil laughed. Then abruptly he glared at the Witchfinder. You're going to pay most of all. For some reason when I read that, I think of the Wicked Witch of the West saying, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too. Sorry, back to the story. It took three men to tie him to the stake. He fought with demonic strength, screaming and cursing and prophesying. Jonathan Hartman crossed himself, looked heavenward, then lit the pyre. October 31st, 1992. Jimmy was in luck. His parents had been called away on a business trip, so he got to spend the week with Grandpa. It wasn't just any week, though. It was Halloween week, and Jimmy didn't know anyone who was more fun at Halloween than his Grandpa. His Grandpa celebrated Halloween like most people celebrated Christmas. He decorated the house, but just for family and friends, and worked in his laboratory, greetings, creating special elixirs and potions. Jimmy liked watching his grandpa at work in the lab, even though he didn't know what his grandpa was up to. He enjoyed watching him and carefully add carefully measured quantities to bubbling vats and beakers of green and gray liquid. But this year, something was different. His grandpa seemed troubled and he, as he frantically mixed and refined his potions. Are we going to get a pumpkin? Jimmy asked, afraid his grandpa had forgotten. Grandpa placed the beaker he'd been examining on the counter and gave the boy's shoulder a warm squeeze. Of course, he said. Get your coat. It was dusk when they arrived at Lansdale's Pumpkin and Squash Patch, though it was Halloween evening. There were still a lot of pumpkins to choose from. Jimmy got down on his hands and knees and examined each one carefully, looking for the perfect carving pumpkin. Suddenly, an enormous pumpkin that had been part of Lansdale's Halloween display exploded. Grandpa ran to Jimmy's side. Neither could believe what they were seeing in the spot where the pumpkin had been stood a tall, slender man dressed in antique clothing. He was outlined in blue flames and his hair moved on its own, twisting and turning in the night air like the living locks of Medusa. Jimmy suddenly understood why his grandpa had been so agitated. He had sensed the evil in the air. I said that I'd be back, Dr. Evil growled. He looked at the confused expression on the old man's face. You don't know me, he continued, but your great-great-grandfather did. If the dude was alive in 1747... And this is 1992. I'm pretty sure there is more ancestry between that dude and current grandpa than great, great. A couple of generations. But anyway, I promised I'd be back for him. Cold blue flames flickered about, lapping at his ankles and shins. Since he's not here, Dr. Evil said as he raised a badly burned hand. You'll have to do. A bolt of blue fire leapt uh, his fingertips 
and hit Grandpa squarely in the chest. It knocked him off his feet. As he struggled to get up, Grandpa's skin began to glow a bright orange. Then things got really weird, as piece by piece a pumpkin formed around him, trapping him in a plasmic pumpkin prison. I don't think that's a thing. Anyway, Jimmy ran to his grandpa's side, but he couldn't free him of his vegetable prison. He turned towards Dr. Evil, ready to reason, to beg. But Dr. Evil was no longer there. He'd vanished just as quickly as he'd come. Jimmy knew that he was the only one who could save his grandpa, and though he was confused and afraid, he was certain that if he was going to save grandpa, it would have to be tonight. Halloween. Alright, so that's the setup. Grandpa apparently is Grandpa Monster, I guess, although there's absolutely no reference to it in the game. It's a single-player game. You have to collect weapons and magical items to protect yourself and arm yourself against the forces of evil. Connect the controller to the left. Switch on the console. The Midnight Mutants title screen appears. Um, there's a little cutscene, I believe, just giving you a, sort of a mini version of the setup that I just read to you. Use the controller to move Jimmy. Use the currently selected weapon or create a psychic link with Grandpa. You can go left, right, forward, and back. The left fire button activates the currently selected weapon. The right button is used to contact Grandpa with which you have a powerful psychic link, even though he's trapped in his plasmic prison. From time to time, if Jimmy concentrates real hard, he can make psychic contact with Grandpa, and Grandpa gives you tips. Go this direction, go that direction, use this potion, do that, do this. The Grandpa screen also shows all of the items that you've collected. In order to use an item, it must be selected first. Only one item can be selected at a time. Brackets surround the currently selected item. To change the currently selected item, move the brackets using the controller until the bracket frame frames the desired item. Areas to explore. There's a fountain where you start at. There's a mansion. In the basement of the mansion is the lab where you're going to find three useful items, including the knife, the blaster, and the key. There's a church to the right of the fountain, and inside there you get an item which protects you from the poisonous bite of the bats. Spoiler, it's a cross. At the cabin, located in the depths of the woods, and don't forget to check out the well, there's a stable and a barn where you can uh, enter via the bush that casts no shadow. That's all capitalized. The bush that casts no shadow. Take the axe. Hold on. Wouldn't it have made more sense to let light have the, the bush that is flaming or the bush that screams or something? The bush that casts no shadow? Whatever. I don't like it from a writing standpoint. Take the axe with you when you enter the barn and watch out for hungry wolves. Oh, and the wolves, it's creepy too. When you get attacked by the wolves, the game just stops on the image of these wolves ripping out your intestines. Plenty creepy. There's a graveyard and a crypt. You need the key and the blaster with you to when you go in there. There's a pumpkin patch. There's a fireplace and a cavern where you need a lantern and a powerful weapon, which they don't name, to explore the caverns, find the diamonds below the cliffs. Because, of course, there's diamonds. You can pause the game by pressing pause. You can return to the opening screen and restart the game by pressing, you got it, restart. All the while, there are bats and zombies and whatnot trying to kill you. The knife apparently does damage against the bats, although I really didn't see it when I was playing the game. The knives apparently don't do anything to the zombies, which seems odd to me. You also have to find the mutant bosses, and then finally, Dr. Evil himself. No, not that one. At the bottom of the play screen is a status bar that lets you know how you're doing. There's a health bar. Don't let the monsters touch you. Any contact will lower your health. When the health gauge reaches zero, the game is over. There's also a blood gauge, which shows you a percentage of how pure your blood is. Pure blood being a troubling concept, but anyway. Uh, bats and ravens inject impurities into your bloodstream. If they bite Jimmy when blood purity reaches zero, the game is over. 
in the lower left corner of the screen is an area which displays the currently selected item. And there's also a section that tells you what your score is. In the lab caverns, which you access via the mansion, you're going to find a mega blaster, a necklace, and a diamond. There are also dark fields where you can find more diamonds. Basically, you pick stuff up by running over it, and it goes into your inventory. Essentially, they don't use the word inventory in this manual, but that's basically what it is. And I've already told you how to select an item. There are potions, red or blue. Although on my screen, the red one looked more brown. You can carry one potion of each color at a time. If you discover a new potion of a color you already have, the new one is saved and the old one is automatically used. Red potions improve Jimmy's blood purity by 50%. Blue potions restore your health. These are especially helpful when battling mutant bosses. The knife is found in the mansion. You can use the knife to kill bats, which I mentioned earlier. There's a cross, there's an axe, there's a blaster, which I guess is good against zombies. There's a key that you need to get into the crypt or the grave of the graveyard. There's a lantern, there's a mega blaster, a necklace, a heart, which permanently purifies your blood as you track Dr. Evil, and diamonds that increase your health. During your quest, you have to battle huge, seemingly indestructible creatures known as mutant bosses. They each do have a weak spot that you must find. Hints, get the knife, cross, and axe first, because you need them to uh, kill various things, then get the blaster and the key. There's a warp hole just outside the cabin. Warp hole sounds naughty for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, the warp hole takes you to the corral. There's a song in there somewhere. Taking the warp hole to the corral. I don't know. Some musical sort out there can write a song for me for that. You must have the axe to fight the first boss inside the corral. The second boss is in the graveyard. and You'll need the key to enter there. And the blaster or mega blaster to defeat the boss. You can't get the blaster until you've destroyed all the zombies in the basement. The key won't appear upstairs in the mansion until you've destroyed all the zombies in the bedroom. You need the necklace hidden in the shipwreck, which they have not mentioned until now, before you can get the heart in the fountain to increase your power. Sometimes you can get more powerful weapons earlier in the game. As you become better, you'll be able to advance to areas more quickly and take shortcuts. The necklace is in the caverns by the lab, reached through the mansion basement. You'll need the lantern to enter the caverns to secure that before attempting to find the necklace. It's all very complicated. There's also a shipwreck which contains the necklace, which will allow you to go inside the fountain and get the heart. Points are in for picking up items and destroying foes, but the ultimate goal is to destroy the mutant bosses one by one until you reach Dr. Evil. Destroying Dr. Evil will freeze Grandpa from his plasmic prison. And that's it. There's not really a map in the manual. There was one page that had kind of a crude little drawing thing, but it really wasn't a helpful map of anything. I think the idea is you're supposed to sit there with a piece of paper and map things out for yourself, which is fine, I guess but time-consuming. Maybe that's part of the fun. I don't know. I certainly, I never played this game as a kid, but I certainly played games where uh, you had to do that sort of thing, and it was fine, and that's apparently part of this game. And all of this together is how you play Midnight Mutants from Atari for the 7800, 1990. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. 
You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Aside from the interesting note that the game features a likeness of Al Lewis, the actor who played Grandpa Munster, even though the game really doesn't have anything to do with the Munsters, uh, along with that, the other interesting bit of trivia about this game is that the game, along with Sentinel, was one of the last releases by Atari for the 7800. The game was developed by Radioactive Software, released by Atari. Features a large in-game environment with many locations, a background musical soundtrack, battles against boss enemies, and an animated introduction. In a retrospective review, Atari 7800 Forever gave the game a 4.5 out of 5, praising the humor, the approachable in-game menus, and excellent boss battles. Hardcore Gaming 101 calls this game one of the 7800's efforts to compete with games on the NES as sort of these uh, Legend of Zelda type game with sort of this sprawling map of things and stuff to find and whatnot. Just surviving the beginning of the game can be pretty rough, however, given how randomly enemies tend to spawn. In a nice touch, there's a lot of different varieties of zombies, like beheaded zombies that have their heads bounce when they move, or pumpkin-headed zombies that toss pumpkin projectiles at you, stuff like that. There's a note here that it's possible for Grandpa to resurrect you, but the conditions for how exactly this happens are so obscure that even the internet isn't sure. I don't know about that. If anyone knows more about that than me, let me know. Given that you have only one life to spare and no way to record your progress, getting through the game without save states is pretty tricky. Having a map helps. The production values are great, given the hardware, with the animated intro that starts the game being especially impressive. I agree, I did like the animated intro. Disappointingly, the ending isn't nearly as good. There's an effort to give the game a varied soundtrack, although it's not great. The game does a decent job at filling a Zelda-shaped hole. It's a lot more compact, which is either a plus or a negative, depending on how you want to look at it. Atari Protos observes that Atari was must have been trying to end the 7800 support with a bang because Midnight Mutants was one of the best games to ever grace the Super System. The game wasn't a true RPG, like Dragon Warrior or Final Fantasy, but was still a welcome surprise to 7800 owners who thought Atari had abandoned them, which they did immediately after releasing the game. Instead, the game is really what we call an action RPG kind of like Legend of Zelda or Star Tropics. Midnight Mutants marks the first time that full-screen bosses were used in an Atari game. These bosses were huge and also incredibly detailed and really ghastly looking. There's one flaw in the game, it's the lack of a save or password feature. The game isn't especially long, but very hard to beat in one sitting. All that's great, but really what we want to talk about is the monsters. No, not the 2022 movie, The Monsters, which, I'll be honest, I had forgotten, came and went in 2022 until I started doing some research for this episode. This was a reboot of the Munsters TV show following a family of monsters who moved from Transylvania to an American suburb. IMDb gave the movie 4.6 out of 10. The Munsters TV show ran from 64 to 66 about a family of friendly monsters that have misadventures, never quite understanding why people react to them so strangely. I think you can still find it like on maybe on MeTV or maybe Nick at Night. I'm not sure if it's too old even for them at this point. It was still securely in reruns when I was a kid. And I'm sure that I watched it. I'm not quite old enough to have seen it when it originally aired, but I definitely saw the reruns. They are a weird but honest family. Herman is a is Frankenstein's monster. Lily and Grandpa are vampires. Eddie, their son, is a werewolf. 
Marilyn is their niece and the only, quote, normal one, that is the, quote, ugly duckling of the family. Season one of the Munsters ran for 38 episodes, which is like a whole series for some shows now on streaming channels. Season two had 32 episodes. It was, the entire show was in black and white, quickly picked up for syndication. There have been many efforts to reboot or relaunch it, even before the recent Rob Zombie 2022 movie. There was a movie, Munster Go Home, in 1966, an animated TV movie in 73, a film called The Munster's Revenge in 1981, featuring robot versions of the original characters. Boy, that sounds like a wonderful idea. Grandpa Munster, played by Al Lewis, became a breakout character. He often appeared on other shows as the character, though just called Grandpa to avoid infringing on Munster's trademark. I think we're getting a better idea why he appears in this game. Famously, he would host Super Scary Saturday on the TBS Superstation. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Featuring showings of new and classic horror movies. The most successful reboot so far was in 1988, The Munsters Today. This show updated the setting, featured a new cast, and was in color. It made it three seasons. A TV movie in 1995 called Here Comes the Munsters, followed by 1996's The Munsters Scary Little Christmas. The final, until the 2022 movie, reboot effort was in 2012, Mockingbird Lane was broadcast on NBC, but it never got picked up as a series. People really want to bring this thing back. I'm not sure, because like I said, I've seen the Munsters, and it's fine for 1960s sitcom, which is a different animal than 2022 sitcom, so you have to approach it that way. But it's really not worth all these reboot attempts, in my opinion. That said, if any executives in Hollywood want to pay me to write a Munsters reboot, I'm willing to talk. All right. While I'm waiting for uh, the emails to come in from TV executives, let's do this. After the break, the show mutates into, well, more show. Hey, Henry, have you ever heard of an old TV show called The Munsters? That's okay. This is Grandpa Munster right there. He was one of the characters on the show. But it really doesn't matter, because it turns out The Munsters doesn't have anything to do with this game. So, I don't know why he's there. We're playing a game called Midnight Mutants. I suddenly blanked what the game was called. Midnight Mutants. And there are dead people in it, as you can see from what's on the screen there. But hopefully one of those dead people is not me. Though it probably will be. Let's try it out. Gratuitous headshot. Creepy uh, opening screen there. We're told that's October 1747. Burn witch. What the thing person is saying. I will return. October 1992. I'm back. Dog, another demon dog, vengeance is mine. Pumpkin? Flaming pumpkin? Oh man, I love the flaming pumpkins. I have all their CDs. Midnight Mutants, copyright 1990. From Atari Corp. This is exciting. He's overwhelmed, he can't even speak. Okay, I guess that's it. peppy music for this creepy mutant Halloween game. Uh, that's you. I think his name is Jeffrey or something. 
one of the characters from the manual, if I remember right. There's a heart in the center of that fountain. You can't get it yet, though, because you need the necklace first. Because, of course, you do. Um, let me turn this down a little bit. Gratuitous hand shot. Alright. So, we're told in the manual... Whoa, hi, bats. I guess I shouldn't have been standing still. We gotta find the mansion first. There's the blue potion for health. There's the red potion, or brown, maybe, I don't know, for pure blood. There's the mansion. Oh yeah, we had to talk to this, our psychic link with Grandpa. The whip to Dr. Evil has risen from the grave and imprisoned me inside a plastic pumpkin, which doesn't seem safe to me. I can't be with you, but I can I can give you clues which may help. Whenever you need me, press the right button, and I might have some good advice. I could do it, Grandpa Monster voice, but I'm not gonna. Alright, from an earlier, playing this game earlier, I remember, uh, I think Grandpa Monster told me to go to the left immediately. We go to the dining room. Yep, there's the dining room. Oops. And then there's another little room back here. And we have to get the knife. Supposedly you can kill bats with it. Evidently, does nothing against the uh, zombies, which seems odd to me, but alright. Now, Grandpa Monster's telling us that a cross will protect you from the bats. We have to go to a church to find the cross, but don't worry, we're not going to live that long. I just threw a knife at that bat, and he didn't die. I'm very confused. What do you think of the look of this game, Henry? Mm. Eh? What don't you like about it? Mm. I think there's other stuff we're supposed to find in the mansion, but I... And now I'm dead. But I don't remember what. Um, we'll try this one more time. We don't need to watch all that. Alright. Blue potion. Brown potion. Mansion. It would be nice if there was a little on-screen map, which I usually complain about, but I think in this game it would be nice. I think the idea is you're supposed to sit there and draw your own map, but with bats and zombies and whatnot, you really don't have time to stand around and draw a map. Alright, see, now in your inventory, you've got a knife, a potion, another potion, Yes, I know, Grandpa. The bat's gonna protect me. Or the cross is gonna protect me. Um, this course is Atari's attempt at a, and sort of an epic, uh, uh, I don't know what the term is, ongoing game. As opposed to just a pick-it-up-and-play kind of game. Eh, for 1992, I could see playing this back then. I probably played games similar to this. I'm just kind of walking around now. There's a, a library, maybe? I've been here before. I don't remember there being anything in here. Uh, look, before I die again, I'm not going to try and finish this game during this field report. I'm just going to walk around outside and let you see what else is out here. Uh, oh, yeah. 
this freaked me out the first time. I just thought there was something wrong with the game. I'm sorry, this black... Blackness? I don't know what it is. I want my mutant TV, we're told at the top of the screen. Something's in the process of killing me. Damon spent much time in the crypt. Oh yeah, that was the crypt. The ultimate Halloween nightmare, Midnight Mutants. I don't know why all these little messages are popping up at the top of the screen. Dr. Evil? No, not that one. Dabbled in the occult? No kidding. I'm just gonna walk into the forest. There's a sign that tells us to keep out. Private estate. There's a bridge. Love a good bridge. Wow, there's a long bridge. Whoa. Seriously? Knife doesn't do anything? Whoa, there's a guy with a weird light bulb head. And the bridge just goes nowhere. There's just some sort of a pier. Not sure what the point of this is. I'm about to die. That's okay. You're getting the idea. The goal, of course, is to collect all the uh, objects. The necklace and the heart and whatnot. Find the uh, key to the... There's a gate somewhere you gotta get into. And ultimately you gotta find Dr. Evil and fight him. And rescue Grandpa and save Halloween as we know it. Or something. And now I'm dead. And here, next coming up, is my favorite part of this game. Guess what? He says, you're dead! Hit reset to restart. But if you don't... Hold on, because I think something happens if you just sit here for a second. Uh, maybe not. Alright. Well, you get the idea. We're all creeped out. We've had our monster moment. I'm going to go eat some candy. Back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Dogwater Hunt, alien abductee, many times over, has scanned the skies waiting for the aliens to return to his hometown of Santa Claus, Indiana. Yes, it's a real place. This year on Christmas Eve, Dogwater believes it will happen. Dogwater's friend, Cameron Jones, a successful novelist, is struggling with writer's block. A talking goldfish? That's normal, isn't it? And a battle with his ex-wife over her plan to move to England with their five-year-old daughter. Meanwhile, up at the North Pole, Santa himself has got his own problems. After centuries of being jolly, the constant tide of kids who believe, then don't anymore, is wearing on him. So he quits, hangs up the red suit, and is cringled no more. Where does he go? Santa Claus, Indiana, obviously. The story of how these three men are thrown together is told in the novel In the Saint Nick of Time, written by the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. It's about time there was a Santa Claus story for adults, so he wrote one. Will these guys save Christmas? Probably. 
That's how these books work. But you got to read it to find out how. Go to www.carnivalofgleekcreations.com for more information about the book and some of the places you can order it. Happy holidays! Here's the thing about Midnight Mutants. I like this game. I didn't come anywhere near finishing it in the time I spent with it today, getting ready for the show. Because it is sort of a a Zelda-esque, Zelda being the comparison only because that was a NES game of that era, was sort of a a sprawling universe to wander through and collect objects and things. This game is not Zelda, to be clear, but it has a similar sort of, there's a whole map of places you got to go and things you got to do along the way kind of game comparison ends at that point some of these reviews talked about it being the best game for the end for the uh 7800 i'm not sure that's true i think there are other games i like better food fight is one there's uh robotron that's what i'm trying to think of but those are not rpgs those are you know pitch it up and and shoot things type games i think i would be willing to spend more time with this game so for that reason i give it high marks and uh you know well done too bad you couldn't have been doing this all along Atari, or maybe the 7800 would have lasted longer. Maybe it really could have competed with the NES. Although, I don't know. You still have those hardware limitations. If you guys have thoughts about Midnight Mutants, or if you can speculate what might have come next, now that Atari had headed down that road to this type of game, had the 7800 support continued, what might they have done next? Let me know. In the meantime, here's this thing. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story comes to us from Bad Poetry Corner. Midnight Mutants, a poem. Last time I saw Midnight was just because the dog threw up, so ew. Does Midnight Magic fade with youth? Night Owls tell us, why Midnight Lust? Does daylight scare you? Is that just? Midnight is a time of its own. Midnight dwellers aren't made, they're grown. Normal by day, at night mutate. Quiet time, worries percolate. Given life and legs when we're alone. Rude guy at the late night drive-thru. Revved engine on your quiet block. Angry texts that leave you cold-cocked. Bitter folks who let venom spew, that in day's harsh sun wouldn't reach you. And worse still are the quiet hurts, the ones that make the demons flirt. These are the creatures midnight brings, on the calm nights vitriol sings. Good thing poems like this will alert. But midnight can have good vibes too. Some mutants are chaotic good. Great ideas take shape like carved wood. Late-night chats run because time flew. Fun refuses to end. Woohoo! The goo that binds life runs slower. The mutants wade in. They lower the barriers. Let in what's next. Tossing and turning sure beats sex. Fear the midnight mutants? No, sir. Hi, 
this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton from the End of the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. Midnight or any time of day, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review of this show. And I will send you some candy. I won't, actually. But I'll say thanks. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, do please look us up on Instagram. You can call us, too, and leave your spooky messages on voicemail. 563-265-1978. Say whatever you like. You're not going to have to talk to me. And there's a pretty good chance I'll play your message on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information about this show, about my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, and about books that I've written that you can possess. Little treats for your trick-or-treat bag. All of that over there on the website. Consider supporting the show as well by signing up over there at patreon.com, where Atari Bytes has a page. You can also, by doing that, you can ensure my eternal gratitude, just like these guys. Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Jeremy L., Mark Super, Jim Goble, and Robert Ferguson. All right, we're about out of here. I got to go find my sexy podcaster costume to do my trick-or-treating. So all that's left is to tell you, next time on Atari Bytes. We're going to visit the uh, 5200. I haven't done a 5200 game for a while, so we're going to do that. We've played this game on the show before, but not on the 5200. So, And I recently picked it up because I was compelled to do so. I'm not really sure why. Uh, the game is Congo Bongo. I don't remember being all that impressed with the port that I played on the show before, but I remember enjoying Congo Bongo in the arcade as a kid, so I have a certain amount of affection for it. So when I saw that I could get the 5200 port of Congo Bongo, of course I did. Because as much as anyone, I liked wasting money. So I picked it up. We're going to check it out next episode. And life will be dandy. If you have thoughts about Congo Bongo in any form, let me know. And also until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,